I am Andrea Butcher, and this is Being at Work. Being a leader is hard. So on this show, I set out to talk with experienced leaders to learn from their pivotal moments, how they led through the challenges we can all relate to but are often unheard. Today's guest is Kevin Brinegar, the president and CEO of the Indiana Chamber of Commerce, which partners with 17,000 members and investors, representing 3 million Hoosiers to achieve the mission of cultivating a world-class environment, which provides economic opportunity and prosperity. Kevin has an incredible passion for the work the Chamber does, as you'll hear in our conversation today. Being able to make a difference in public policy to support Indiana businesses He's well-known and has been recognized for his work in the areas of business taxation, property taxation, local government, state budget, and school finance. But what you may not know are all of the other fascinating things he's been involved in. He served in law enforcement, once delivered a baby, once worked as a ballroom dance instructor. He's an avid golfer and has recorded three holes in one and a double eagle. Kevin also enjoys traveling and attending sporting events with his wife, Kim, daughter, Kathleen, and son, Cole. I could go on and on sharing stories of these fascinating things he's done, but let's hear from Kevin. During our conversation today, he highlights a pivotal moment in his career when he put his name in the hat for the CEO position at the chamber. Listen in as he talks about what he learned about himself. He moved past his doubt and followed his passion and gets to do work every day that is so meaningful. Check it out. I grew up in, in Bloomington, Indiana. That's uh, where my, my family was. Had a bit of a challenging start. My parents were uh, teenagers when I was born and came from rather poor families. My father actually was orphaned when he was seven years old when his parents were killed in a railroad crossing accident. So we lived in a, in a camper uh, in my grandparents' backyard to begin with because there wasn't any room inside the house because of the other kids. They were divorced when I was two years old, actually. And um, so that was just my mother and me for a while. And then she married a wonderful man, who uh, my stepfather, who we celebrated Father's Day with yesterday down in Bloomington. Um, but I, I love the outdoors. I loved sports. And we always had kids playing sports in the neighborhood all year round. And I went on and, and uh, fortunately was, was good enough athlete to play for sports in high school. And um, my mother went to work for the university at, at IU and saw kids getting their diplomas and going on and doing good things. And she decided she wanted that for me. And so she used sports as a leverage to, um, to make me get good grades. And that led to, Going to IU, at the time, I wanted to be a state trooper eventually and um, went through their law enforcement program. Uh, but by the time I graduated, I was interested in public policy and tax policy and things. Had some good mentor professors and ended up at the Legislative Services Agency, which is the nonpartisan support staff for the General Assembly. Uh, worked there three years and had an opportunity to become the tax and fiscal policy analyst for the Senate Finance Committee, uh, as it was called back then, uh, of the Indiana State Senate, and worked there for nine years. And it was just a fabulous place to learn about state government and public policy. And it seemed like everything that was had any importance at all was had money associated with it. And so there was either tax policy or budget policy and got to learn a lot. And uh, while I was there, I started and finished an MBA in corporate finance 
And that led me to the Indiana Chamber of Commerce uh, as their tax and fiscal policy person, and eventually leading the government affairs activities at the chamber, uh, where I got to um, work for the business community and use my MBA, but also stay connected with um, state government and public policy at the state level. And uh, after I had been at the chamber 10 years, my predecessor left to uh, head up a company called Oxford Financial Group that's headquartered in Carmel. And um, that's when I had to make the decision, was I going to put my name in the hat, so to speak, and um, try to become the president of the chamber. Is that something you'd been thinking about or you aspired to? I've been thinking about it some, but but my, my predecessor, Chris Lamos' um, departure was kind of unexpected and, and abrupt. And that there, there was a three-month period between the time he announced he was leaving and the time he actually left. That gave t- time for the search committee to be formed and you know do a, a thorough, literally national search. Uh, they involved, they involved a, a firm that um, is pretty well known called Corn Ferry International that actually are the sponsor for the, uh, the minor league tour of uh, professional golf now these days. And um, so I wasn't, I was thinking there might be an opportunity sometime down the road, but it came sooner than I expected. And so I had to really sit down and think about, okay, am I ready? And, and you know, can I do this? And do, do I want to uh, submit my uh, name for consideration? And I, and I did. What was it that led you to do that ultimately? Well, I, I knew... The chamber was a great fit for me. It allowed me to use my master's in public administration and all my experience uh, working for the legislature and my 10 years then of lobbying for the chamber representing the business community. And you know, I had this MBA in corporate finance and the chamber is a medium-sized business with you know over 50 employees and today over $10 million a year in revenue. So I'd have a chance to you know have all the, the joys and sorrows of leading a, a business of that size and the personnel and all that as well. And so I wanted to give it a go. That's great. So tell us about that process. You said it was a nationwide search, but how, how what happened after you put your name in the hat? What, how'd that play out? Well, the search committee of chamber board members, executive committee members was formed and um, position was opened up and um, it was pretty stiff competition. There were three or four Individuals who were already head of heads of other Indiana associations, the head of the Indianapolis Chamber, the head of the Indiana Manufacturers Association, as well as some national candidates, and so they set up an initial interview with the folks at Corn Ferry who were running the the search process, a very early video conferencing back then in, in two thousand two, and uh, and then from there they narrowed the field down and presented a group, I want to say like six or eight candidates to interview with the search committee. And the intent was that from there, after the first interview, they would narrow the field down to two or three finalists. And then they were do a second interview and then, and then make the selection. And I felt comfortable, you know, talking to my predecessor that, you know, I would get through that first cut, but Then ultimately something unexpected happened when we finished the interview and I, uh, my interview with the group and I outlined my passion for the chamber and my knowledge of the chamber and how it worked and and vision I had for the future. They got finished and they said, is there anything else you want to say? And 
I thought about it and it kind of ran counter to, I guess, my coaching and my understanding of what you're supposed to do in interviews. But I just, I was sitting at the end of a, a conference table and they were around the, the table. And I just looked at them and I pointed my finger pretty sternly and I said, I just want you to know I want this job. And um, those were my last words. And then the next day I got a phone call from the search committee chair, which didn't surprise me. I thought, okay, well, this is going to be setting up the next interview, most likely, although it could be that, you know, I didn't make the cut. And she surprised me and she said, the search committee has discussed it. They've interviewed all the, the candidates and they've decided to forego the second round of interviews and offered me the job. Oh, wow. That was probably one of the best phone calls I ever received. <laughs> I bet. Well, that's interesting. So they knew with 100% seriousness that you wanted this job. I mean, you made that really clear to them. Yeah, it, it wasn't a seven or eight, you know, <laughs> on, a, on a scale of 10, which is interesting because now when I interview candidates, uh, I will often say, try, try to get a, a gauge of how much they want this job. Because I feel like my experience says that that folks that really want to be in your organization have a much greater chance of succeeding, even if they're not the most credentialed or polished or whatever. You know, they may not be the best candidate on paper, but if they want to really truly be there and, and work with you, that often is is a better candidate than than someone who is interested, but you know, maybe more interested in another position in another company or something. Yeah, it's a what's the commitment level? Like any relationship, that that com- that commitment is really important. Well, and you and you'd been at the chamber. You clearly had a passion for the chamber. You said like you knew it was a good fit for you. The, all the experiences you'd had leading up to it, so it feels like the time was right for you to step into that role. Well, it, it was. The other thing I would say is um, that made me feel really good and comfortable was as much as you can be comfortable because it's it's a big step going two doors down the hallway uh, to the corner office. But I, I had the support of the chamber staff and particularly the senior leadership, uh, which, believe it or not, here 18 years later, with the exception of one person who's retired, I have the, the same senior management team today that I started with 18 years ago. What do you attribute that to? I would first attribute it to the, that group of individuals who who you know have the same level of passion and commitment for this organization that that I do and we've bonded and you know we do things we make decisions mostly as a team I rarely have I have a rule that there what there were six now with the retiree there are now four others and I say okay you each have one vote and I have five but rarely do I have to throw my five chits in the table to make a decision. It's 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 very much a, a, a team effort. And because I know these people are as deeply committed to the organization as I am, I don't have to worry about people playing games or, you know, trying to one-up each other or, or try to position for some other role or responsibility at the chamber. We all look at it through the same lens. We can be very frank with each other, which sometimes is a bit brutal, you know, nobody has to worry about second guessing anybody else's motives. The motives are all about the members and the customers and the mission of the organization. Yeah. So there's a lot of trust in that when you've got a, such a such a strong mission focused 
and you share that level of commitment, that naturally drives a lot of trust within the team. It does. Uh, and and it's, I feel so blessed to, to have that because, you know, I've seen other organizations where that's not the case and there's backbiting and, and, and all of that. And it's just, I'm very blessed. Plus there's immense amount of knowledge and experience. And uh, I feel so blessed not to, at least as of yet, had turnover in those top key positions. And frankly, we've had, we, over the years, we've had very little turnover in general, maybe two or three positions of people a year. And out of, you know, 55, that's, that's awfully good. We've got a lot of long tenure employees, including two who've been with us now for 36 years, which is longer than I've been there. That's incredible evidence of that high level of commitment that you referenced. So I'm curious, Kevin, because you've had so many interesting situations throughout your career. You also personally have done a lot of really interesting things. So why do you call this your pivotal moment, this, this time when you put your name in the hat for this, the position that you're in today? What about that situation makes it so important for you? Well, it was so important for me because this was the position that I wanted at the time, but I didn't know if, if I was good enough or if I could, if, if I could be successful, uh, you know, and, and have a long run. And, and yet, you know, I to sit here today and there's no doubt in my mind that this is the best possible job and combination of duties and responsibilities for me because it allows me to use my experience working in the early parts of my career, working for the legislature and using my public administration education and training with a, to work for an organization that the, represents the business community, which is the other side of my education and training, to make a difference for the people of Indiana, not just for those members and, and customers of the chamber that, that invest in us to represent them, but ultimately to improve, as it says in our mission statement, you know, make Indiana the most competitive place we can be to promote prosperity for the people of Indiana first and the enterprises, because we know if the people are, are successful, then our businesses will be as well. When we have big achievements that are hard to come by in the legislature, it's, it's not a straight line business deal. There's often a lot of politics involved and, and a lot of personalities. And you've got the General Assembly, I describe it sometimes as a 150 senior class presidents, you know, who all uh, have uh, large egos. And you're essentially, as, as uh, my friend, former Senator Luke Kinley used to say, the Indiana General Assembly is the marketplace of ideas. And everybody's trying to sell their ideas and get enough support for them to get them passed and onto the governor's desk. Yeah, so it's a lot of navigating. And and I want to come back to that because I want to there's some good leadership lessons in that that navigation of all those different stakeholders and all their voices. But I want to go back before we go there, I want to go back to this being a pivotal moment for you because that you know, you said even though you realized it was a good fit, that all of your experiences had led you to this opportunity, you still you had some doubt around are you up for this position? What did you learn about yourself in that, in, in going ahead and doing it anyways? I've learned throughout my career, and I haven't had many stops, really three different organizations, a couple different positions within those organizations. But each time, 
I was like, you know, can I do this or not? Oh, I had I had doubts, but each time I went ahead and pursued the the position, and was able to do it and be successful. And so there was a lesson learned there. And and with the with the chamber, you know, I was particularly concerned that I knew this was for sure where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And so, but I didn't know, you know, if I do I have enough experience? Have I learned enough in the in the time I've been there thus far to lead the, the entire organization rather than just one part of it? And just didn't have, you know, just wasn't for sure. But I also like, okay, if I don't, this is the thing I really want to do. So if I don't succeed, one, if I don't put my name in the hat, it's clearly not going to happen. Uh, and two, uh, if I do, I may not get it. And if I don't, then what am I going to do? And that right. was sure. Uh, because it's like, okay, the, my dream job has now been made available, but, but ends up being occupied by somebody else. I feel so fortunate that because my, my, my passion came out and, and the, the trust and the confidence that that search committee put into me was, was there. And, uh, and many of those chamber board members who you know, Andrea, um, are still involved and active with the chamber today and have become dear friends over these many years. Yeah, those relationships, like that's that's definitely a strength of yours, those very long-term relationships. Well, that's interesting. So I hear, what I hear in, in that is there will always be doubts. Do it anyways. And you didn't allow those doubts to hold you back at all. Your passion came out in the process. I mean, you told them in the interview that I want this job. So it, you, your your doubts didn't hold you back at all. You felt the doubts and went for it anyways. Yeah, and I, I know that some of that comes from my experience in sports, and um, you know, particularly when you're younger, it's like in freshman, sophomore. You know, can I make the varsity team? And can I then can I be in the starting lineup? And you do it, and you go for it, and you practice, and you work hard. And in my case, it, it's turned out very well over uh, the years, and in, in regard to many endeavors. Yeah. I just think about, I just think about doubts holding people back and you, yeah, you're right. Those, those athletic challenges that you were involved in probably prepared you well for the leadership that you're engaged in now. Well, I think so. And um, I, I mean, you learn a lot and, and I've been very pleased that our children um, had that experience as well. They both played, they're 28 and 25 now. They, they both played basketball and tennis all the way up through high school. And my daughter went on to play college tennis and my son went on to play college basketball. And they, they learned to, you know, they, they learned the feel of victory and they learned the sting of defeat and they learned how to get along with teams and with coaches of you know, different ones all the way, some good, some not so good. And, um, you know, how to, how to be a leader them, themselves and a lot of just a lot of life lessons that come from, from sports. So this this will get us back to the uh, navigating different perspectives because you said this is not a straight line business deal. There's a lot of politics involved. So I'd also love some leadership tips around navigating that. What what have you all the years that you've been doing this work? What what are the the, the two to three key things that have made you successful leading through that? I think one. You know, with our government affairs team, we, we talk about the, the five P's, which are, if I can tick them off here, patience, persistence, 
perseverance, preparation, and perspiration. And those are things you need, qualities you need to work around the General Assembly because I have another saying that around the General Assembly, good ideas take at least three years to pass and bad ideas only take one. So perseverance in particular is, is important to, to stay at it and, and keep talking to people and keep presenting your information. The other is, uh, I think I've learned the ability to recognize when an opportunity is there and when it's ripe and also when it's not and know not to to push the envelope so far that you break it and then and then you lose the opportunity to come back and win in the future because you if you're not going to win this year sometimes it's better to back off and retool and, and work the issue again over the the legislative interim in the summer and then and then come back so what's this what's the skill there it's probably some intuition it's probably relationships and communication and timing but what's yeah what's the skill there because that's a really good one ability to know when there's an opportunity and when there isn't i think the relationships are critically important and getting to the point where you can have in this case the legislators be very candid and honest with you and and be a good listener because it's easy around that place to sort of hear what you want to hear and um I remember my old boss, uh, Senator Larry Borst, who was chairman of the Finance Committee when I worked for the Senate. Lobbyists and, and others would talk to me and say, you know, I'm so frustrated. I just don't know where he's coming from and, you know, can't get a signal. And, and I would frequently say, then you're not listening to him because he, he, he speaks very directly. But a lot of it was it wasn't the answer people wanted to hear. And so then it's like acted like they were confused. Uh, and I said, no, just listen to what he said. And, and in this case, he said no. So, you know, you need to come back and fight another day. But I think the, having the relationships and having people be, be able to be honest and candid with you is important. And knowing with each individual um, how far you can push them uh, and, and when to back off and, and be always be politely persistent and, and try not to let you know, things get personal. With with your adversaries because they may be tomorrow's needed allies, uh, and so having a, a wide breadth and depth of relationships is important. And then over time, learning learning how to read people and uh, knowing when to push and, and when to back off. Yeah, that's that's good. I love the encouragement around um, this person is frustrating. Well, maybe you're not listening to them. There's such a, like, an ownership and an empowerment in what I and what I hear you describing there. It's not falling on your sword and being a victim. It's just continuing to ask, what can I do and how can I learn more about these people and listen to them more so to help influence this? And what information can I gather and, and provide that will help strengthen the case and, and- turn around their their views on the issue. Well, and that takes listening, right? Is gathering that information by really leaning in hard to what am I hearing here? What's important to them? Well, and as an example, we just earlier this year passed legislation to raise the legal age for selling and possessing tobacco and vaping products to from 18 to 21, which was so important because Ninety-five uh, percent of all people who smoke throughout their lives start before age twenty-one, and it would help get these products out of the schools and uh, get people up to an age where they don't become smokers. 
And an opportunity presented itself last summer when we started to have this vaping crisis where people were being hospitalized with lung injuries from using vaping products. And uh, the vaping products had become rampant in the schools and the school officials were suddenly really taking notice of this and having issues. And we said, okay, we've, we've tried to push this legislation and we've hit a roadblock where legislators either just weren't interested, it wasn't important enough, or they said, you know, oh, if you can, if you can vote and you can go fight for your country at age 18, then, you know, you ought to be able to decide whether you want to smoke or not. The, the vaping crisis and all the national and state attention that was brought to that issue presented the opportunity we saw to finally get this legislation passed. And indeed, that's what happened. And so in this case, there was taking a crisis and turning it into an opportunity to pass legislation to address the crisis. Thank you for your leadership on that. That's a really important, important one. Well, it was it was a, a personal passion of mine because it impacts the health costs of, of Indiana businesses and our smoking rate is 50% higher than the national average. And my father, who I spoke to yesterday, is uh, 82 years old and started smoking when he was 14 or even younger than that and still smokes today, amazingly. But he's in very, very poor health, not surprisingly. And it just I've often thought that it didn't need to be this way. Yeah. Well, that's so clearly a personal passion for you that you've turned into an opportunity to influence. So you've given us a lot of great insight today, Kevin. I, I love the just the big takeaways around even through the doubt, do it anyway, follow your passion. I mean, you had so much passion for the work that you were doing when you put your name in the hat, the five P's. And you actually, you added a sixth P. I don't know if you realize that, but you said politely persistent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then the, the very simple point about knowing when the opportunity is there and when it's not and being patient through that, listening through that. So if you could go back, I'll, I'll, we'll finish with this last question. If you could go back and offer yourself any piece of advice, what would it be? I guess really work on and strengthen those internal and external relationships, maybe more so on, on, on the internal side, and, and make sure that everyone understands that you're, you're approachable, but you're also human too, and make sure that they understand the the passion that you have for the organization and how much how important it is for employees um, to share and, and buy into that, that passion, which fortunately I've had with my senior leadership team. I haven't always had it with you know each individual employee, but I've, I've been very, very blessed to, to be surrounded by wonderful people who have helped uh, our organization get a lot of things done and that have in turn made Indiana one of the, the best business climates in the country. And, and we've come a long way, particularly in the last 20 years, uh, when our rankings and our status nationally were not nearly as good as they are today, which is not to say we don't have uh, more things to work on. And particularly now that we're all uh, adjusting, uh, including on adjusting how we lead uh, and what we focus on during this pandemic, and we're already beginning to talk at the, with the Chamber Foundation about uh, initiatives that we can launch and research we can do to help position Indiana to be strong coming out of this and even take advantage of some opportunities like reshoring some of the, the supply chain uh, that maybe we've allowed some key 
things like medicines and medical devices to be relying too much on countries um, and those things being made outside of our country. And then we find ourselves vulnerable when we get into something like this pandemic. Yeah, I so appreciate all the content that the chamber puts out, you know, as a member of the chamber and a board member, I just I so appreciate the relevant, timely content and information and resources. I mean, there's 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 so much that the chamber offers. Well, thank you, Kevin. I appreciate you being on the show today. My absolute pleasure. This was a great conversation. I say that, but I probably did more of the talking, I suppose. <laughs> thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a Being at Work story. 